0: Today is Tuesday, June 13th,
1: 2010, and this is Make It So.
0: Welcome back to Make It So, episode number 21 I am Charlie Plain, and with me, as always, is Mr. Neil Timmons. Hello, everybody. Neil, you're about to become a dad, aren't you? In a couple days. Just in case that your newborn decides to make an appearance, I have secured a additional co-host in the form of the one and only Mr. Matt Kirk. Welcome back to the show, Matt.
2: Everybody's glad there's only one
0: of me. We have challenge number 12 just entered, just submitted today. The cards have been up as of when we're recording, just about two hours. So this really is going to be a First Impressions podcast. There hasn't been a lot of time to dig through these cards. We want to look at these five teams and talk about how they work as a team and how they feel as a team and share our thoughts about what works and what doesn't with you. Well, I know that when we first put out this challenge, there was a a team that I really wanted to see. Matt, was there a team that you were looking forward to that nobody did?
2: I really, really wanted to see the Bada-Bing, bada guys from DS9 somewhere in the holiday. I, I wanted to see Ezri in the, in the waitress outfit. I wanted to see Eero uh, and the tux. I wanted to, you know, all of that.
1: I, I, I really wish that somebody had, had tried to take a smoker at that one. I, I thought somebody was going to take a stab at Vulcans. I mean, we have some Vulcan stuff in the game, but we don't really have a lot of Vulcan stuff in the game. And a lot of the Vulcan stuff, uh, some of the Vulcan stuff just doesn't really work with, with itself. So there might be Vulcans, but but they, they can't report to the same headquarters, and even if they could, they don't, they don't do anything with each other. So it would have been cool to see, to, to take some of the, the, the Vulcans and, and actually try to make them a team instead of just a bunch of guys who happen to be the, the, the same species.
0: And we will start with the first team, which is Darren Lacoste's team, and he chose to do the Rascals, the child versions of some of the main characters from the next generation. Neil... What are your initial thoughts on that storyline as a team?
1: Well, I thought that was a really fun episode. The producers really kind of took a, a whole different view on Star Trek. And and I actually thought Darren did a pretty good job of capturing uh, a gameplay aspect of the miniaturized versions of a bunch of the, the crew. I thought he really nailed a lot of the nuance. And I was really, really happy with the, the very bottom card. The uh, Riker, the dad.
0: Matt, what what about the Rascals jumped out at you when you first looked at them?
2: First of all, the addition to TNG of any kind of another cycle of quote unquote mains always it has to stand a bit of scrutiny because you've got so many different versions of these guys to compare them against. You know, we did have some less than uh, main star people in here with Roe and Keiko and Guinan um but I mean especially like Jean-Luc Picard um him being the kind of cornerstone of how it works uh, I it didn't really uh hit any uh, fire it, it didn't spark any fireworks off for me I did I did I wasn't uh really excited about these I did get a giggle out of the number one dad um that, uh, that did make me chuckle a little bit. Um, but it's, but I, while it's certainly flavorful for them to uh, fight with cunning instead of strength, I, I guess I just didn't really see the, the gameplay application for, it, for TNG.
1: What worked, I thought, was the, the cute interaction between each of the characters and a lot of the gameplay that, that revolved around only having just the kids in play and not having anybody with a high strength. There's a couple other characters that would work with them, saying uh, with uh, personnel strength less than five or strength less than four or whatnot. But generally, they seem to be revolving around uh, working with themselves. That, that's kind of nice because that's what happened in the episode. All the kids had to get together to solve the problems. I think the aspect of these uh, entries that I appreciated the most was the attention
2: to detail on uh, converting the existing uh, versions of the card. Uh, for instance, on uh, John Picard. he keeps the same integrity, he keeps the same cunning, his strength drops because now he's a kid, he's got skills that in a while certainly are somewhat appropriate, a couple of them are questionable, like, was it, would he really be counted as an officer when he was a kid? I think going with the theme, of doing combat with strength combat with cunning over strength it was executed well I just didn't really like the theme overall I I, I, I understand that you know TNG especially uh, has lots of uh, low, low strength high cunning guys um, but I'm I'm not convinced that this was the best way to uh, to help that kind of deck type, not that there really is one, but I'm
1: just not convinced that the cards in the game would support this this type of a deck. I think I think it would probably have to kind of be morphed to to fit that, but this entry seemed to be less about making another really big playable aff- affiliation and just making a couple of cards that really worked well together and thematically really fit together really well. And I thought that... that uh, Darren actually did a pretty good job of, of thematically fitting together this team and making it so that when you play when you play these guys all together, you kind of feel like, yeah, all the kids are getting together to solve a problem, and they might have to beat up some Ferengi, except they're going to outsmart them. I mean, that's kind of neat. And, and, and it's nice that it doesn't automatically make a super-duper powerful TNG affiliation.
2: I would definitely
1: agree with that, in the, especially in the final
2: stages of Make It So, I would rather see uh, the ace in the hole from these get from these designers that these are really the cards that they want to see in the game, and this just didn't really feel like uh, it was going to make a final cut of an expansion.
0: One of the things that jumped out at me as a little concerning is that this set of cards gives the the TNG a really easy bonus point mechanism in their this battle card. Does that concern you at all, Neil?
1: A, a little bit. I, I mean, the TNG already has. I mean. They've got access to call the arms, and they have a whole bunch of cost four more people, and access to cost four more people that don't actually cost four. So that I think that interaction can probably be abused, and this rascal raid card can can really be worth twenty five points. Uh, but but I think it can't be. I think it, I think it would be actually limited to fifteen points because I don't know how many. Cost for more people have a uh, strength of uh, really low.
0: What really bothers me is that this combat card doesn't limit you to to fighting with the rascals. You only need to have one of them there with you to do the battle. Well,
1: three. Does it say three? Well, I mean, to get the full bonus, you have to have you have to have three people who are strength less than
0: five right but but then I can take you know Wharf and Data and a bunch of strong people down and, and use Arena or Left no, right, Behind right, right, sure. or whatever it's called right. to isolate one guy and then score 15 points for trivially True. easy I just True. don't think TNG should have that kind of around the corner that's my concern Matt what did you think about that
2: well more objectionable to me than that. 15 points would be the fact that it says Fed personnel and not TNG. That opens it up for, you know, DS9 Earth and cadets, and all of a sudden you're running around with this stupid, easy, cheap people running around scoring 15 points. As far as going over to somebody else's place to score points, I'm okay with that as a form of interaction. But, yeah, I, I tend to agree that it might be a little bit too good.
0: Both of you said that, that you liked Riker, but let me ask you this question. Does he really belong on this team?
1: No, absolutely not. But, that, but that's not the point. The point is, is that that's a very thematic card, and it fits with this set because that's what happened in the, the episode. It doesn't fit with the set because he fits with the mechanic. It's just kind of one of those things that reminds you that these were all built after an episode that actually happened.
0: But if if the whole point of this challenge was to build a team that worked together, is including Riker uh, the right decision?
2: I think you could make a case for it. How strong the case would be?
1: Mm
2: -hmm. Unsure. But I... (laughs) As I said before, it it is one of the silly scenes in in Next Gen when you have a 12-year-old Picard and calling Riker his number one dad, so I think the and also because of the fact that he includes Riker after, he, he gives you the, the main set of the team, and then he gives you the event, and then he gives you Riker almost as an addendum, as a, and, oh, by the way, this guy too. Um, so, so taken as kind of a, a bonus card, I, I think it's less objectionable, but does he belong on the team? Yeah. I, I gave him a pass because it was, it was a cute and funny card. But uh, I do have a problem with the lore. The lore for Riker definitely should have been uh, the, the Ferengi made Daddy turn off the main computer.
0: And I will nominate, <laughs> I will nominate this card for best subtitle ever. So, <laughs> Alright, moving from TNG feds to the other side of the galaxy, we have Nathan Miracle's team which is the Tuliberry Wine Team Greedy yeah. Dominion Merchants Matt, what was your gut reaction to the Tuliberry Team?
2: Well, what uh, was, is immediately lacking in these cards just in comparison to uh, uh, Darren's entries is the Star Power um, obviously, you know, he chose Stars of TNG and, and here we've got Never Heard of You One Episode uh, Dominion guys um, however Having said that, there are uh, quite a few little gems in here that uh, taken by themselves could really help Dominion decks out. Um, but taken all together, it's, it feels like these cards are trying to do just a little bit too much. You have to play all of these cards together
1: to make any of them worthwhile. First of all, I, I do believe that, uh, Matt, one of your complaints about the last team was is that it was all TNG stars and all people we've seen way too much of. And so, for the, for, for the, the sake that, that Gooey went through and, and found some some one-episode wonders, I thought was kind of ingenious. And I actually really like this whole uh, sell a bottle of Tulaberry to your opponent to do something kind of interesting, and then your opponent can get a little bit of a bonus if he decides to sell it back to you. If he doesn't want to sell it back to you, you can take it back. And back and forth and back and forth. And, and while, yes, I I think you're right that you have to have all these cards to work, to work with each other. Uh, a lot of these cards download, I mean, you, you, you can just download your tulipary wines. So as long as you can come up with the two acquisition personnel, you're in business because the rest of your stuff can just, can just get pulled out of your deck every turn because you're putting it right back into your deck every turn. And if you're in a smaller, smaller deck, then there's a good chance that you can just start with most of the stuff that you need uh, or just discard six cards, draw five cards and get what you need.
0: Neil, I know you're a big Dominion player, especially oh, the uh, virtual Dominion. How would would these Tuliberry team fit into any existing Dominion deck?
1: Not even a little bit. They're so different than all the other Dominion stuff that's in the game. And it's really kind of cool that they're, they're putting a team into the, into the game that exists, but, but doesn't work with, with other Dominion people. So you can probably fit a couple of the jobbers in there just for their attributes. But other than that, these guys pretty much just stand on their own.
0: Obviously there's not enough cards there to build an entire deck. What would you fill out the deck with if you were to use the Mary team?
1: I see a, a lot of these guys have higher cunning than anything else. So I'd probably couple them together with with the Vorda, try to get some some high cunning Vorda, so that these guys provide the, the 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 skills and the tricks, and then the Vorda just come up with the raw cunning and then fill out any extra skill matrixes or or stuff just to beat dilemmas and whatnot.
0: Just from my point of view, I would consider this team to be one of the the more complicated teams that we've seen in the game. What what are your thoughts about? how this team is going to work mechanically and what the impacts are going to be on the game itself.
2: I will answer that question with a story, actually. Um, Early in the development of Captain's Log, uh, during the playtest phase, when uh, the Voyager crew was about to be introduced, there was a lot of back and forth about how their uh, mechanics should be uh, implemented in the game. Uh, they, they, they. It was pretty much set that they weren't going to have the headquarters. The main card that was supposed to make them "quote unquote" work was the long journey home, uh, making a four mission, uh, four four space mission uh, win achievable, the, and that was going to be their primary way that they were going to win. As evidenced by the results after Captain's Log came out, almost everyone ignored. The long journey home, and just made it two planet or two space and one planet mission for for Voyager, and went about it that way. Um, I kind of feel like that's a little bit of what we have here with Tulaberry wine, um, because not many players are going to want to bet their entire deck on one card, even if there's only even if there's three copies of it in their deck. You go up against a Romulan or a Maquis, they take those out of your deck, and all of a sudden you're your linchpin is gone, and you kind of have to make do with whatever you have left. And seeing as all of these cards reference Tulabarian Wine, if for some reason the three copies get taken out of your deck, either by an unlucky mill off the top of your deck, or some sure, other... event destruction. Event, sure, sure, event destruction. Um, it can completely dismantle the, the whole idea behind the deck, which I'm not a terribly huge fan of, uh, because while... Definitely the mechanics are
1: fun, um, a little bit too uh, tethered together. But then on the other hand, I mean, these guys are, are kind of fun to play with on their own, so even if you lost your, your two Berry Cheater, uh, you'd still be able to go out and attempt missions. I mean, you might not have the cheating power that this that this affords you or the, the attributes power that this affords you, but, but I mean, the, the guys still are, are pretty good guys with pretty good skills, so... So w- w- when the tulip goes away, it's like, okay, well, fine. I guess I won't sell any wine. I'll just go to missions. So I, I don't think pulling the, the wine out actually pulling the linchpin out. I think it takes your cheating power away, but that's really b- about it. I, I call shenanigans on that entire statement. It, it
2: entirely depends on tulip If I wanted to play people with skills and good attributes, I'd go find all the good non-lines that I can and actually play a headquarters that wasn't
1: lame like founders had. Like founders do but they get a lot better with Tulaberry wine. So, so you, you've got this really sweet team, but the thing is, is that if you lose your linchpin, you're not up a crick. You've still got some decent guys that have some pretty good skills and have some decent attributes so that you're not, you're not hosed. Yeah, you don't have your cool cheating power and you don't have your fun attribute uh, cheaters and you don't have your, you don't have your cool stuff, but well, I mean, sometimes you got to beat a team dirty and, at least you can do that, uh, and I would make
2: again make the argument that without Tulaberry, these turn, these guys just turn into uh, kind of subpar B team guys that I would rather play with other subpar B team guys that are better.
0: Do you feel that three support events is a little excessive, Matt?
2: Tulaberry wine by itself can't really be considered a support. it's more of the currency that makes the whole mechanic go uh, by itself doesn't do anything but everything else kind of revolves around it. The distribution network card, yes, that effectively is one of the cards that you need to make the deck go. And while the interrupt is cute could have left the door open for future design a little bit more if it hadn't named chili gray wine.
1: I think that there's really only one necessary card here and the rest of it is just grease. And because the interrupt's just a cheater is all it is. It's it's a pretty good cheater, but that's all it is. It's just a cheater. And the downloadable event that lets you go get your wine, I mean, that that's that's cool, but not necessary, because you, you can always just shuffle it back to your deck and then just redraw. Kind of nice, but not necessary, but kind of necessary, depending on, on, on how quick you're trying to do it.
0: The first thing that jumped out at me when uh, Nathan had mentioned this was the team he was working on in our... This fancy new chat room, shameless plug, uh, was, it felt very 1E, the way he was talking about it. Like, uh, with Gold Press Latinum as a Ferengi, the difference between 1E and 2E, in this case, is there's a card limit in 2E, and I'm not sure that you can do the same crazy shenanigans with only only being able to run three copies of the the commodity in 2E. Um,
2: what would have been interesting uh, to really uh open the open the floodgates on this one is if you'd borrowed the text from Infestation that says you can have more than three copies of this in your deck, all of a sudden now you've got as much tulry wine as you want and you know, you could spend your entire turn just pumping out, you know, seven different Tulberry wine or more if you had a party atmosphere. But uh yeah, I mean that would have it would have been one of those uh, thinking outside the box bonus point things that would have really put that set on the map as something that could
1: have really blown the doors open for a totally different temp deck. Yeah, I think this actually works really well because there's a three card limit. Each of these cheaters that, on the personnel and on the on the interrupt are all pretty powerful, and it would be very powerful to be able to. Do it ten times, or seven times, or whatnot. It's nice that you only get three shots. You only get three chances. After that, you're definitely going to be out of wine. And yeah, you can get it back, and there's ways to get it recycled back into your deck, and there's ways to re-download it and re-get it back into play, but other than that, you've got, you've got your three pumps, and that's it. And then, and, and, and you better hope that's enough. Hope, hope you have enough wine. Well, obviously, if he
2: had designed the toolbar to have as many copies as possible, he'd have to put limits on their abilities and whatnot. But it would have been an interesting design path to go down.
0: Alright, switching gears once again, we go back to the Federation, and... Incidentally, we go back to the next generation with Keith Morris' team, which is the crew of the Hathaway. Now, but before we jump into his cards, was were you expecting any federation teams in this competition, Neil?
1: I thought people were going to kind of steer into the more obscure and try to find some lesser-known teams and build around them.
0: Matt, how do you balance the fact that TNG and the Federation in general is, is very popular but it's also very powerful and n- not wanting to give them more weapons in their strong decks versus the desire of the players to see more cards.
2: Well, I think one of set um, one of the recent quote-unquote teams that came out was uh, was the vastly outnumbered team uh, for DS9. Um, most of their abilities had a very specific use. Um, the uh, you wouldn't really try to uh, splash one or two of those into a standard uh, DS9 solver or anything. Um, if you're going to use all those cards together, um, they're all going to be in the same deck. But um, now going the other direction with the uh, uh, with the Berry Wine cards, you, you know, the, the demanding that you have these cards in your deck, that's probably the, the other extreme. And, you know... When, uh the hathaway cards kind of strike a nice balance um with the with their maneuverabilities
0: neil how did you react to your first look at the hathaway crew
1: i, th- I thought the crew was, was all right I, unfortunately i'm a little tainted because this wasn't one of my favorite episodes because i i didn't think that the, the crew made very good decisions or i didn't think the crew made decisions that they should have made based on their their personalities but but that's my my own failing. Um, I I I kind of like to see a, a little bit of a new Wesley who was actually sort of useful and did stuff. Um, but other than that, really, this this whole crew just kind of felt like TNG people. Uh, just kind of felt like we're gonna make a bunch of new TNG people and they're gonna have TNG on them, and they you know they kind of work together. They they have a ship, but that's about it.
0: I think one of the more interesting things about the Hathaway is that they all key off of maneuvers, but they don't do any fighting. And I think that's an interesting TNG flavor take on the maneuver keyword. How would these cards fit into your standard TNG solver? Would would they make it super powerful, or would this be something you would have to build your own new deck around?
2: These guys, while uh, certainly uh, handy with the maneuver events... Um, would I want to play Strategic Commander Riker over Admiral Riker or Forecast Battleship Riker? I don't think so. I think you'd have to pretty much use these guys in your maneuvery defensive deck, um, and these, they, they seem like more more meta cards if you're really uh, big on uh, uh, if you've got a lot of battle in your
1: area and you want to. Uh, you know, give yourself a better chance to dodge a couple bullets you throw these guys in. The, the other thing is is that uh, the, I mean, there's actually a precedent for a Federation battle deck, too. And I think with some of the cards that already exist in the game, adding these guys to a Federation battle deck would, would kind of make them pretty powerful. I mean, Wharf costs four, so he makes your call to arms go. And the other guys just just, I mean, they download stuff, and they, they, they basically just act as grease for your Federation battle deck. And so all of a sudden, you've got your Attack Enterprise flying around. Oh, but now you have your Attack Hathaway flying around. So I think it's it's not necessarily something that you might throw in a solver, but a lot of these cards you could just toss into a Federation battle deck, or you could just build it around.
0: So so, so these cards would be really nice synergy with the battleship AU TNG? Uh,
2: yeah, I think they would, especially Worf, since we didn't get a Battleship Worf because he wasn't in the episode in the alternate universe, so yeah, I mean, he really fits in with the, with the alternate. And he
1: costs four, and he's got a great ability and a bunch of skills, and yeah.
0: Well, Matt, if I remember right, you, you're you a fan of this episode. Um, how do you feel the events in the story reflected on the events in the cards?
2: I guess I would have preferred seeing something a little more on the defensive and I know that's not a entire I know that's not a hugely popular deck type to play, a reactionary deck of, you know, what but uh, I mean if we if if these cards had taken the opportunity to kinda of take in some meta policing stuff on uh maneuver, or, uh, yeah, on space combat, and on, on engagement decks, um, it could have been an interesting direction to go, because that's kind of what happened in the show, they, the, you know, when we get to the climax of the show, the Enterprise is defenseless against the Ferengi, and all of a sudden, here comes the Hathaway, and we're going to blow it up, but they warp out of the way to, uh, to kind of defuse the whole situation, so... I, I guess I would have preferred that more of that flavor. Now, having said that, there's some very nuanced text on a lot of these cards that uh, show really good attention to detail. I love the fact that False Threat, the, uh, the, the one verb card that he's got in here,
0: doesn't really do anything. So moving on to the fourth of the five teams is the only non-aligned team. We have Tyler Fultz's genetically engineered supermen khan and his fellows from star trek 2
2: star trek 2 is definitely one of those uh, iconic movies for from the franchise that um, is usually in the top three of any any trek fans list of favorite movies so doing these guys certainly draws a lot of scrutiny that way the second. reason they'll draw scrutiny is because they're not aligned and now all of a sudden you've got from a design perspective you've got to think about all the interactions that that is going to enable the the event we actually saw before i believe um in a a different version uh, maybe it got cut from one of the uh, from one of the challenges but i remember seeing a natural selection before the name right no and that that defense. Yeah, you know what?
0: You you might be right. It it might have been in one of the early challenges. I think you might be right.
2: I remember seeing it and people going like, yeah, this is really cool. And I was going like, "Mm, it could be depending on what you designed around it. So having those two uh, perspectives on uh, card design, I think um, he he succeeds in a lot of the the criteria. I mean, obviously they're going to be Stronger and smarter than your average humans, but um, you know, definitely fits with the precedence we have from Malik and Persis, and reflexively those those two or three guys would fit really well if you're going to build a deck, you know, that focuses just around these guys because they've already got the genetically enhanced keywords, so they're ready to go. But uh, lots of nice nice little twists on uh, familiar mechanics, but how the
1: genetically enhanced guys get around it.
0: Neil, what do you think of the supermen here?
1: Oh, I think they're exactly that. I think they're super, super duper men. I, I think that a couple of these characters, I mean, they must just blow the power curve uh, off the charts. Uh, when you look at some of these abilities and how they can just wreck a dilemma pile <clears throat> at not very much cost. Uh, I mean, it's just, I, I, I think this is a, a, a dangerous team, because I think we're borderline we're on too powerful. Uh, specifically, the ability that lets you just bump Dilemmas back to their pile. Bump the bottom Dilemma back uh, to their pile. I mean, that's just, that's huge. There's only one other personnel that that jumbles Dilemmas around, and, and that ability costs five points. So, this this doesn't cost anything just to stop a personnel. And it can go in any deck. And it can, you can just toss it into any deck, yeah.
0: Now, it only does so, that to dual dilemmas. And there has been, throughout Make It So, a push towards punishing dual dilemmas.
1: The combo that, that I would be afraid to face uh, uh, against this person that would be something just as simple as a, a timescape no kill eye. Because you face the timescape, and all puts a dual dilemma, so uh, we'll return the bottom card to your dilemma. Oh, there's no more dilemmas left, okay. Because your no kill I got returned. And and the cost of stopping the personnel is, is really not that big. So I think that ability is just way too powerful to be on a personnel that can just be sideboarded into any deck.
0: Matt, there are, there are a lot of genetically enhanced personnel in the game already, e- even a lot of non-aligned genetically enhanced personnel with um, the, the 22nd century augments that you mentioned earlier, plus the uh, Masterpiece Society people. Are you concerned at all about adding more of them to that big group of people to make make some sort of ridiculously powerful uh, non-aligned genetically enhanced deck?
2: Well, they do have a lot of abilities to key off of each other Um, but I think a a more uh, accurate way to portray these guys would have been um, to have them uh, work with uh, battle because you never really saw them go after anything except Khan's revenge in the movie So having them work with dilemmas and missions and stuff, it it doesn't really hit the the mark as far as macular portrayal of what what
1: happened. But, I mean, yes, definitely they would be totally um,
2: powerful with a lot of different uh, genetic lines, especially with the event at the bottom. Because it's just like, oh, well, let's get rid of one of these Masterpiece Society guys that I don't really care about and I just put in this deck because it just happened to have the keyword. And let's take, uh, let's let's replace Khan with one of those guys.
0: Given how many non-con-related, non-aligned, genetically-enhanced personnel there are, is this really a team in and of itself?
1: Uh, that is kind of a good question because I don't think so. I think you can take the genetically-enhanced keyword and just take these guys and sideboard them straight in with the jackpack because they all fit, and they've all got the right keyword, and you can take all the verbs and make them work with anybody. And, I mean, I understand that there's a dilemma that, that stops a bunch of keywords, but, well, if it's your bottom dilemma, uh, it might not be such a big deal because it might go back to your pile. But I, th- I think that these guys would j- easily just fit seamlessly right in with the rest of the genetically enhanced personnel that exist in the game.
2: The, there, are, there are two glaring design flaws uh, that I see with these two, or with this, with this group of, of people. One is that... Um, somebody's got um, a very specific idea in, in mind uh, for gameplay that they try and throw onto cards and while it it will while, while it fits it doesn't necessarily make sense so these guys just turn into oh those are the guys from Star Trek 2 who do this which isn't really what they did in the movie but they're good cards so I'm gonna play with them um, the other design flaw being uh, it, they feel like they try to do just a little bit too much. They do push that power curve that Neil was
0: talking about. I think that they are good cards. I I think that they work well together, and they they trigger well, and they're worded well. Um, They may be a little powerful, I don't know, but they're good cards. I just am really not sure that they meet the definition of a team, at least the definition that I had in my head. They, they are, but they are in terms of story, but are they in terms of mechanics? That's my question. And that's a question for you to answer at home. Excellent. Alright, and that brings us to our fifth team, which was Kano Hendrickson's Way Last Clones Bajoran Powereth Cult. Neil, I think these are, are cards that people have wanted to see in the game for a long time. Having just looked at the cards, what jumps out at you?
1: We've got some good solid star power with Ducat, and yeah, that was an iconic episode where uh, Ducat runs uh, uh, Jamestown down in Africa, and he's trying to get everybody to drink the Kool Aid, and, and doesn't want to drink the Kool Aid himself. It's it, it, it's pretty neat. I actually like this ability uh, that that they put on Ducat because it, it, it's it's a lot of fun to, to to see him have an ability that that kills Bajorans. I, I mean that's. That was his modus operandi for a bunch of years. Was he killed Bajorans, and now he's a Bajoran, but that's okay. He still kills Bajorans, so don't worry. He's still Dukat, uh, and I, I thought just this whole team just, just kind of felt very, very very ominous and very evil, and, and it felt right from the episode. And I mean, he's got a couple of verbs at the bottom here, but I think I, I think the current verbs also play into this team. So I think there's a little bit of precedent for this team without actually having that team in the game. And so I, th- I think he made a good team selection. And I think a lot of the cards are, are, are really great, really right out of that episode.
0: How about you, Matt? What were your initial thoughts?
2: Well, certainly the subject matter is very visceral and juicy, and it's one of those episodes that um, kind of... Turn the corner, so to speak, for DS9 um, seventh season. All of a sudden, you see this. I mean, we all, Dukat has always been the bad guy, but he's just taken it to a whole nother level here. And um, so, <laughs> yeah, the, the, the execution on these cards, a lot of them are really uh, appropriate because they do exactly the opposite of what Bajorans are quote-unquote supposed to do. They play off of uh, what the Intendant did as the Treachery Bajoran. They take stuff out of the discard pile to do all their shenanigans. And so, yeah, I, a lot of good stuff in here.
0: Now, sort of going back to what we, we just talked about with the, the Supermen, there are a lot of Bajoran Treachery personnel that aren't part of this cult. However, mechanically, the way that the cult is worded, all of those Bajoran treachery personnel are going to be useful to you here. Is that following the team philosophy, or is that just a happy side effect?
1: I think it's kind of more of a happy side effect, because I mean these personnel work well together with each other, with the different game techs that they've got on them. And so if you have a, a couple of other Bajoran treachery, they kind of just start to be fodder for Ducat or or guys that that might just kinda of fall into the knife because they're in the way. And that, that that's kinda of neat that you've got these treachery Bajorans that are that are going after other Bajorans. And and, and 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 there's also really not enough people here to make a good solid mission squad. So it is useful that there that there are some other treachery Bajorans in the game who can uh, who can jump in into those gaps, too.
2: The point that's compelling to me is that um, while the existing Bajoran Treachery people um, may not have been part of the Parith cult, could definitely have been turned that way, had they been around and were in that situation. So, I mean, for, for the most part. Um, the, and you can make enough of, a, of an argument. To, to justify their inclusion in this uh, in this clubhouse, I think the only thing that I would have liked to see, uh maybe would have been a, a shot at a, a Taron headquarters, maybe or not not Terracnor, excuse me, Em Brockmore. Yeah. headquarters. yeah, that would have been sweet. Maybe it's very very thin, tight rope to walk on that one, but it would have been neat to see.
0: I going to ask more of a, a philosophical question that could come out of one of the episodes of Star Trek. Obviously, this subject matter is very uh, dark. Uh, suicide cults and cults and religion is, is very... It's a sensitive subject matter. Neil, in your opinion, are there any pitfalls about working in that sort of dark subject matter? And how do you think uh, Kano did with that?
1: I don't think there's much of a pitfall because... Because, I mean, those are things that exist in our culture, but those are also things that exist in our TV show. I mean, the the TV show didn't didn't steer away from them. In fact, they kind of embraced them and took their own own uh, uh, way to them. I mean, Roddenberry himself, when he's writing episodes for the original series, I mean, he was taking stuff straight out of the events of the day and just turning them into Star Trek episodes. Uh, at, at least in one at least in one instance, where he just he just called the episode the name of what was really going on in the world. So I don't think there's it's a negative precedent to do that. In fact, I think it's very positive to actually uh, acknowledge uh, what really happens in real life, and then since our TV show has nodded to it, we should also nod to it.
0: Matt, how do you think uh, Kano did tackling this uh, dark subject matter?
2: I think the line between glorifying uh, a, a, a socially uh, a socially frowned upon practice, um, such so cult sacrifice, as opposed to portraying it in a way that, while not being, um, while not portraying it in a in a positive light, is definitely. Uh, exhibiting it in the, in the game and uh, there's a, you know, there's a fairly uh, simple analog to draw one from the other saying, oh, well, I take a guy to the discard pile, that means I'm sacrificing Okay. The, but, again, the, I, I think most people now who play Trek are at least mature enough to, to make the distinction that, you know, we're not... We're, we're, the, the cards are attempting to portray what happened in the show and they're not actually trying to espouse any philosophical uh, tendencies in the, the players. All right.
0: Obviously, we've only been looking at the cards for a couple hours, but Matt, three of these five contestants are going to make it to the final challenge. Just based on what we've talked about tonight and your initial reactions, which three people would you
2: advance? <sighs> That's tough. I, I can I can give you one. Um my my favorite of these these entries is definitely uh, Connor with the uh, with the Paris I I think they hit all the right bases. They had just a, just the right amount of startup power with Ducat. They hit uh, they had all the precedents in the right places. A little strong on a couple of cards, but that that's one of those things that gets toned down with playtesting. So overall, uh,
1: Williams one.
0: And Neil, it wouldn't be one of our podcasts if I didn't put you on the spot.
1: What I know. I'd I, I like to see the Rascals, and I think I'd like to see the Tulaberry Wine uh, go for. The the Rascals, I thought, were just a whole lot of fun. And uh, the, the Tulaberry Wine really felt to me like it was a throwback to a lot of deck from back in Star Wars, the card game, where, yeah, we're technically got this game going on here, but, but there's this other game going on where we're, you might be trying to do missions, but I'm trying to sell Tulaberry wine. It's, it's kind of like, you might be trying to drain to me, but I'm, I'm trying to sell you a starship. So, uh, I, I like that interaction, and I really like the little kids. So, and a 13-on, I don't know, for the point. All right.
0: So, it seems like it's going to be another close one, at least for, for you guys, and presumably for the judges, too.
1: I agree, Since since none of us really picked the same team.
0: Yeah. Well, Matt and Neil, thank you guys both for joining us on the podcast this week. It's been great to hear your thoughts.
2: Always was pleased, Charlie. Thanks for having me.
0: Neil, congratulations on your impending fatherhood. Hopefully you'll be around next time. If not, Matt has graciously agreed to substitute for you. So one way or the other, we'll be hearing from one or both of you next week when we bring you the final challenge. Are you guys excited for this to be
2: final countdown? All right, ladies
0: and gentlemen, if you have not voted yet, you can do so on the front page of our website at www.trekcc.org. In addition to choosing which three of these five contestants make it to the final challenge, one of these teams will be entering playtesting for a future virtual expansion. I have the guarantee from Brad himself, whichever team is deemed to be the winner of this challenge will be playtested and may appear in one of 2011's virtual expansions. So, not only do you get the chance to decide who will be designing your game, but what cards will appear in it. Pretty exciting, I think. That's awesome. Awesome. Well, for my co hosts, Neil and Matt, I am Charlie Plain, and in the immortal words of Captain Jean Luc Picard, make it so. Make it so.
1: The Make It So podcast is recorded under a Creative Commons Attribution, non commercial share alike license. For more information, visit www.creativecommons.org.
0: Some of the music in today's podcast is brought to you Podsafe free from Nebio's Music Alley. For more information, visit
1: www.musicalley.com. Make it so. The search for the next assistant game designer is brought to you by the Continuum Committee home of the first and second edition Star Trek CCG. For more information, please visit www.trekcc.org www.trekcc.org